Ephesians has been a study of who we are. Who we are. Not who we're becoming. Who we are once we become connected with Jesus Christ. See, there's a miracle that happens when you become connected with Jesus Christ. Is the inside of you instantly changes. Instantly is perfected. Your spirit's good. Uh, it's the rest of us that takes the time to catch up. All that, the outside stuff, it takes some time for that to happen. But it's, he's talking about that this, the, through this book that in him, you have a new identity. You're a different person. And it keeps using the terms in Christ, through Christ, with Christ. Uh, and so we've been looking at what, the, uh, what that means. We spent some time encouraging you how to study it. What we're attempting to do is to put God's word into our heart. We're, um, we're listening, we're speaking it, we're reading it, putting it in here. And then when it gets tested, when the enemy comes out, he says, oh, you're not really that. You know, you, you screwed up, man. You probably aren't even saved. Uh, it's this thing on the inside that goes, no, I know who I am. I'm God's kid. Stomping on the enemy. You're under my feet. You know, and that, and that thing of living in victory rather than like, oh, yeah, you're right. I don't know, man. It's Monday. I'll wait. Maybe Mark will tell me on Saturday night that I'm good again. You know, and you wander through your week. It's just like that living in victory because you know, because you know, because you know who you are. Uh, that's our, my heart uh, in this study uh, for, for each of us. So as we continue to, to sow uh, his word, I challenge you to put it in your heart. Just keep putting it there. And eventually it's going to change what you believe down here. And what you believe down here comes out in every other aspect of your life. Um, second, or second Corinthians, Second Ephesians. Turn with me to Second Ephesians. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 um, in verse um, 18. Do we have that one up there? Because... It says, for through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. This is where we stopped last week. And we were talking about how God had had, um, joined um, the Gentiles and the Jewish people together. Uh, he had given them both the same opportunity to receive this, uh, the new message of um, uh, life in Jesus Christ and to have peace. And we talked about last week, there's no room for division uh, in the body of Christ. There isn't. He doesn't look at people as, oh, men, women, more important, less important, you know, old people, children. He doesn't look at anything like that. You know, he doesn't look at color. He doesn't look at gender. He doesn't look at any of that stuff. He, it's this idea of relationship, um, uh, one uh, in each of us with him. There's differences in function, but not, no difference in value. And so he was talking about that and realizing there's no room for racism for any of us. Uh, and uh, I would encourage you to listen to that one online, uh, especially if you hear the word racism. It's like, oh, I hope he doesn't talk about that tonight. Uh, did that last week. Been there. Um, check that one out, though. It'd be good. Uh, this is tonight what I want to just look at is the rest of that verse where he just says that for through him, through him, remember that? There it is again. Through Jesus Christ, we both Jews and Gentiles have access by one spirit to the Father. We, it's a, we talked about the two, you know, the Jews and Gentiles, but I want to talk to you about the access thing tonight because the access, what access meant, and they understood it to be, and it's still the same today, it's, this, it's the, the right or the opportunity to approach someone. So they're saying, you know, that, that um, through Christ, we have, this, we have this right or opportunity to approach God. And, and back then, they would have understood this access thing. If you were going to have access to a famous person like a king or a dignitary, uh, that, that access was limited. Not too many people got to um, hang out with the king of their day. It'd be like Stephen Harper today. You know, not many people are just, you know, get to ring his doorbell and say, hey, I'm coming in for coffee. And he'd be like, "Uh, all right. You know, you're not a terrorist, are you? But uh, it would, you know, that's probably not going to happen. And that's, they understood this idea of limited Limited access. If you look through the Bible in the Old Testament, you can see it too in the stories. The story of Nehemiah. He was the king's cupbearer. And, uh, you know, he couldn't even talk to the king unless the king spoke to him. He was always in the presence of the king. And it said, uh, as we were studying the Bible through our precept study, we even realized that he wasn't even allowed to have a long face. He wasn't even allowed to be sad in the king's presence, even if he was going through something. And one day he happened to be, and the king's like, hey, Nehemiah, you don't look so good. 
And, and he was in fear. Instant panic gripped his heart because he thought, you know what? He, he saw that I wasn't happy today. I'm dead. And the king just said, no, hey, what, what's going on? And he had the opportunity to talk. God had been working that. But he understood this limited access uh, thing. Esther, if you know the story of Esther, she would go to visit the king who was her husband. And, you know, they should bring this back because this is awesome. But they, she wasn't even allowed to talk to him unless he held out the if the golden scepter, then she was allowed to come talk to him, right? It was, I'm just kidding. I'm just, so, uh, but, but back then, even the wife understood this idea of this limited access. It wasn't like anybody could just kind of walk in. And these are just normal kings. So when Paul's talking to the Ephesians, he's saying, this is God we're talking about. And he says, we have access to God. This idea of you can just kind of walk right in and see him. Um, uh, there, a lot of times we don't, you know, you, you don't think necessarily about access, but you can see the power of it when you realize if it's been taken away from you. Uh-oh. Never mind. So, um, if there was access denied, uh, anybody, uh, there's, this, there's this show um, from, on BBC called Sherlock. Uh, I just, I don't know, Beth and I have gotten like hooked on it. It's like Sherlock Holmes. And he's going through, and the other night we're watching this episode where they had, they decide they're going to break into a high security place. And so they break in, and as they're going through, it says, access granted, access granted. And then the one guy's in there, and he's in this room with this really scary, you know, mutated animal or something. All of a sudden, he's trying to get out. And and he swipes the card, and it's like, access denied. And you watch his face in shock of like, no, I can't get out of here. He swipes the card, and it keeps coming up, access denied, access denied. And and you're just like, we're sitting there on the couch just like, (gasps) you know, Beth's like, I'm like, I'm going to go to bed. She's like, don't leave me here alone, you know. This is is great. It's, It's like this thing of, you know, feeling like you were there. Um, it, with, without the access, he wasn't escaping this, uh, you know, potentially life-changing situation. I won't tell you the rest, but it's really good, worth watching. So, uh, but you know, have you ever seen a parent who's been denied access to their child? Man, I've seen that. You know, and through, uh, through CAS and different things like that, you watch parents just this thing of, uh, you know, being denied access to someone they so love, and you watch this rage take over them, or, or this incredible emotion take over them. Have you ever had it where there's access been denied to a family member or a loved one or anybody that you have a relationship with that matters? When that access is taken away, you know, maybe it's even when you lose someone, you realize that the access to them is no longer their man. It's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. So when it says that Paul's saying, hey, you have access, this is a big deal. He's saying you have access to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And it's, it's one of those things where he's saying, hey, um, uh, this is something that he's done for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's something that his plan was that we would take advantage of that, that we would spend time in his presence. We talked about the temple last week, that no longer is there a wall that, that separates men from the presence of God, but the walls are here. And so often we believe this, and we believe this idea of, you know, I can't be in God's presence. I I can't. Tonight you might be feeling that way. And he's saying, listen, through Jesus Christ, you, you have access. And so as he's saying to them, um, this one small statement, it challenges um, certain misbeliefs in our culture. I want to talk about a couple of those tonight. Um, Misbelief number one is that there is no God. You know, so he says, hey, so this thing of, hey, because of Jesus Christ, you have access to God. Uh, One of the misbeliefs in our culture is that there is no God. Who cares if there's access to God? If there's no God, this this doesn't really matter. But it's a misbelief. You know, the Bible says in Psalms 14, verse 1, that the fool has said in his heart, and I never saw this until I studied this this week, again, this thing where I knew the fool said in his heart, there is no God. But I never read the part with such eyes open about the fool says where? In his heart that there is no God. It's something that, again, where we belief for salvation is in the heart, but so is this idea of, of um, 
the fool who says that um, in his heart there is no God. If you turn to Romans chapter 1, or you can trust me, I'll read it to you for a second. Romans chapter 1, in verse 18, Paul's writing to them as well, and he writes this. He says, God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth in their wickedness. They're pushing down truth uh, because of their, their wickedness. He says, they know the truth about God. Listen to this. He says, in our culture, we have this idea that people think, ah, there is no God. He says this, though. He says, they know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything that God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. They can clearly see his invisible qualities. You know, I never see stuff that's invisible, but he's saying through what's created, you can see the invisible. You can see um, God's, God's creative um, qualities. Uh, but then it says this, um, his, ex- his eternal power and his divine nature, you can see all of that. It says, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but, uh, they, and it was, this is that idea of, yes, they knew the existence of God, but they wouldn't worship him as God, or they wouldn't even give him thanks, and they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like, and as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And then if you go down a couple verses to verse 28, it says this, since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, or they thought it was foolish to keep God in their, in their knowledge, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that, they, that should never be done. This, um, the, the, the thought, you know, that there is no God, it's, it's a misbelief that, you know, you, you may face it in any different uh, realms and places, grade school, high school, talking with people like, yeah, you know, I don't believe in this God. That's just for, you know, church, weak church people. But it's, he's saying, you know, if you look around at everything that's created, it's, it's impossible for us to be, say, you know, with, with any sense of wisdom that somebody didn't create that. If you check out my iPad here, it's pretty sweet. But I just want to tell you, I found out where this thing came from. You know where this came from? No. No, it didn't. There was actually no designer. Um, nobody manufactured this. It was created with parts that actually didn't exist. And um, just out of thin air, there was a loud bang, and this, this just happened to be with retina display that uh, you can see in HD. How many of you believe in that tonight? No, why? Because it just is so, it's, it is utterly foolish, and yet we would look at the human eye where retina display got its idea from to have, you know, 137 million light-sensitive cells in the human eye that all are in the right order to see color, to see depth, to see movement, to focus, all of that stuff just happened. It's insanity to think that. It's, and it's one of those things where it's a misbelief, but this statement says, you know what? There's access to, to God, to a God, to the God. And the Bible says it's the fool who says in their heart, you know what? He doesn't exist. There is no God. A fool, the translation of it is one who knows the truth but chooses the other path anyways. Something we may talk about at some point, but a fool is like the person who says, oh, I know this is going to hurt me, but let's do it. Red Bull, you know, <laughs> uh, or, what, or um, whatever those, you know, those shows that they, they've got on. You know, or it's like you see the, you see the, warning, on the uh, warning label on the package of, you know, this, is, this could kill you. And you're like, oh, pff, all right, you know, I'm still going to do it anyways. The Bible cautions us with that, saying, you know, it's, it's revealing something about us. And he says, one of the things uh, that reveals a fool's heart is when they say there is no God. Looking at all of creation going, yeah, uh, I'm still going to believe in something less. Why? Because they don't necessarily want the access. They want the, to suppress uh, what's true because of, the, it said because of their wickedness. No wonder all the junk that comes out in people's lives when they take God out of their heart. 
You know, that's what it says when he's not in there, where there's no room for God in their hearts. Amazing all the junk that comes out. Misbelief number two that this statement challenges is this. Everyone has access to God. That's a misbelief. That's not true that everyone has access to God. You're like, wait, didn't the verse that we just read, didn't it just say that we all have access, we Jews and Gentiles, we all have access? It is, but if you forget the first part, it says what? In Christ, through him, we all have access. There's an idea out that everyone has access to God, that God is so loving that he's going to save everyone. It doesn't matter what you do or how you live. God's like, you know, there is no such thing as hell. God could never possibly, a loving God could never possibly have, you know, invented or created hell. We, if we think of God, if we, he was on Facebook, he's like the guy who says yes to every friend invite, you know, because uh, he just wants to have everybody like him. And um, it's this kind of this insecure God that we have that, you know, everyone's going to like him and that's what his desire and that's what he wants. But you know what the Bible talks about is that these guys, they created God in their image which is the exact opposite of what it's supposed to be. We've been created in His image, and He's trying to get that into our lives. This is who you are. This is who I've created you to be. And we, in turn, change it and say, God, you know, I think God's like this. I don't think God's like what the Word says. I think God's more like this. And and we created a God of our own uh, imagination, one that would say, you know what? Everyone has access to God. But if it's not true, if it's not true, then you you can't live your life on something that's not true. Because it's not going to hold you. So it says through Christ. It's saying there's only one way. Faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other door to the Father. Don't miss this tonight. Somebody like, yeah, I know that. I learned that in Sunday school. But does it grab our hearts to say, you know what? There is, he's the only way. Jesus Christ is the only way for anyone to have access to the Father. Does it grab us? You know, it's Tim Horton's Roll Up the Rim season right now. It's, uh, or Roll Up the Rim to uh, play again is more likely the, uh, how it's going for, for most of us. It's really frustrating. Um, but the only way you get a free coffee is you have to have a winning tab, right? You're not going in there and just walking in and saying, oh, here, I want a free coffee because I got a tab. Uh, it's, you have to have the tab that says winner on it. You can, and at Country Style Donuts, you know, these other places, they're like, you know what? They're not, they're not Christians. They say, you know, everyone wins, you know. Everyone can have free coffee. Even just bring in your tab from another place and, you know, it's all good. Um, the idea of what, what Paul's saying to them is you have to have the winning tab to win. You've got to have the genuine thing. It's not this idea that, oh, everyone wins. Oh, you, so you lose in that religion. Just come on over here because, you know, God loves, God loves everyone. There's access through Allah, Buddha, whatever your religion is. As long as you go to church, as long as, as, long as you're doing something, you know, Jesus didn't say it that way. He said, listen, I'm the way. I'm the only truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So access to God, it's limited. It's limited to those who have faith in Jesus Christ. But I believe there's some of you here who have that tonight. You're on that side where you're like, you know what? Yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. It's not about being religious either because there could be some of you here tonight and you're, you're like a guy from the Bible named Cornelius. Cornelius was this, this uh, Italian guy uh, who um, he, he, was, he, he, uh, he was a God-fearing man. It's, uh, the Bible talks about how he, uh, he, he gave money to the poor. He prayed every day. He prayed regularly to a God. Um, but, you know, it was, it was more of like, in our day, it'd be like the person who's like, you know, you believe that God exists, and you kind of, you're going to pray to him. But most of the time when your prayers happen, it's this. 
Oh, dear God, I got a huge test I haven't studied. Oh, please, 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 like, make this, make this something that works for me. Or you're on an airplane, and all of a sudden you're flying, everything's great, you listen to your iPod, and you're whatever, watching a movie, and now turbulence hits, and you're like, oh, dear God, you know, you start praying, like, please save me, please don't let this plane go, I promise I'll do whatever, uh, and it's just kind of this fear-based um, fear of God, but you kind of believe he exists in those moments. This is kind of the way it was for him. Um, but for Cornelius, and then it says Peter was sent to his house and said, you know what, I'm going to tell you the truth. It's about Jesus Christ. It's not in giving to this church. It's not in, it's not in just, you know, praying. It's not in your good works. He says it is this fact that you need to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. And out of that, he got access to the Father. So tonight you could be sitting in church because, hey, that's what I do Saturday nights. I feel good. I'm going to church. I believe in God. I'm, you know, but there's a difference. There's this thought of saying, you know what, I fully, 100% trust that Jesus Christ came, lived, died in my place. He actually had to pay for sins that I've committed, and I'm trusting that, and I'm seeking out relationship with him. I'm growing in him. He says, there's a difference between those two. Misbelief number two is that everyone has access to the Father. I'd be lying if I told you that was true, but it's possible through Jesus Christ. And says, misbelief number three, you can earn access to God. There's another belief that people have that's not true. I feel like by reading my Bible or by doing good things, you know, I have access to God. I can get into the presence of God. You know, Jesus didn't save you because of your good works. He didn't go, wow, that Mike McKay, he's a pretty stand-up dude, man. I'm like saving him. You know, uh, he he even lives close to a church. (laughs) I I like this guy. I'm going to save him. He didn't. The reason he saves people is because we needed to be saved. And so it's like this idea, sometimes we think, you know, I can earn it. We know we experience the presence of God. We believe that Jesus has come to save us, and we give our lives to Christ. And then, you know, as our lives are kind of getting, sometimes get away from him or whatever, we think, oh, man, you know, I, I got to get my act together. Or, uh, you know, I just, I, I can't worship tonight. I just can't. You know, just don't understand my week. It's been, you know, I wasn't really a great guy. You know, I, I didn't put as much in the offering tonight. I just don't feel the presence of God. And, and it's this, this thought. And we think, you know, God's like the fisherman who catches a fish and looks at it and goes, nah, too big, throws it out. You know, reels it in, oh, you know, oh, too small, throws it out. You know, reels it in, oh, wrong color, throws it out. We think, we think that's kind of like how God is with salvation, you know. Brings a fish into the boat and that's, well, forget it, you know, throws it out. But it's more, it's more like this. It's more like that, you know, that ocean rescue of the guy who's been floating in the ocean on a, on a little raft, you know, for, for months and months and months. There's a guy named Jose um, Alvarenga, uh, who, uh, or El, yeah, Jose Alvarenga. He's a guy who they uh, found last, uh, last month, and they figure he'd been out there for 13 months. And uh, as you read through his, some of his, his story, he's, um, he, he comes up on this beach, and he's unshaven. He's got this huge bushy beard. He's smelly. He's only wearing some ragged underwear. He's got a boat full of dead animals, dead turtles and dead birds that he's been eating, and he stinks. And, you know, it'd be like this idea of uh, if a boat came and found him, they're rescuing him. They're pulling him up into the boat, and they're not looking at him go, wait a second, wait a second. Your beard is way out of whack, man. You stink. You need some new clothes. Get back down on that raft until you get yourself together. Then you can come on up here. They don't. But if you read Jose's story, um, what happens is as he gets on the boat, they give him a haircut. They shave uh, his beard. They give him new clothes. Uh, he uh, starts telling his story to others. He begins sharing, you know, what exactly happened. He starts reaching out to, to the person, the family of, of the, his companion who was lost. And something happens. All of that, all of the good stuff that started happening in Jose's life is the result of him being rescued. It wasn't the requirement for him being rescued. 
Some of you are like, yeah, I kind of know this, but I, the reason, I'll share in a second why, I'm, why I'm, I want to make sure that we get the idea of these three misbeliefs. The, the third thought is this, good works in your life. I think, oh, Mark, I thought we're supposed to do good works. You are, but it's simply the fruit of relationship with Jesus Christ. If it comes from any other place, it's not worth anything. It's not worth anything to him. It's just this idea of, of living it out of relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't earn salvation by behavior modification, by becoming a better person. It doesn't work. And so many believe that lie that they need to do something to appease God. You're like, well, Mark, that's not us. I, I'm pretty sure, and I'm happy that it isn't. But my thought is this, and I go back to that first part. If Jesus is the only way, if he's, if, if he's the good news, like Galatians said, it's just him and, his, and the cross and the life that he lived and died and gave for us, how is that affecting us today when it comes to the world around us? Is the fact that Jesus is the only way, if that's true, what are we doing to share that message with people who are lost and abandoned and out on a life raft with no hope? Our friends are our family. Do we have this passion on the inside to go, you know what? <laughs> Without Jesus... They don't have a chance to have access to the Father. They don't have a chance for salvation without Him. They don't have the chance to be rescued. What about our neighbors? What about our family? What about our friends? You know, has that thought gotten far away from us? I believe it has. I believe it does even in my own life that I don't live my life thinking that way all the time until God brings it back and says, you know what? It's the only way. There is no other way. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ, you're doing church, but you don't know Jesus Christ, He's the only way. There is no other way to have that freedom, peace inside uh, in your heart. Nothing. Um, and, but you can have that tonight. Paul finishes the chapter with these last three verses. In uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22, do we have that in there? It says, now therefore, <laughs> he says this again. He says this a couple times. Now therefore means, okay, after I heard, if you heard everything I just said, this is the recap. This is like the bringing it all together. He says, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but you're fellow citizens with the saints. So number one, you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Paul says, this last thing, he just gives them three pictures of who, you, who they are, and it's three pictures of who you are. If you're in Christ, this is who you are. He says this, number one, you're fellow citizens with the saints. Fellow citizens with the saints. You know, it's, um, you think about the saints, there's some pretty incredible people in the saints. If you read through Hebrews chapter 11, and the heroes of faith is like Moses and Noah, and they're making a movie about, you know, and, and um, uh, guys like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and some of the amazing women too, like Rahab, who, who saved um, you know, her whole family. And, and you watch, and Deborah, you know, just killed the commander of an army uh, that was attacking the, uh, Israel. You see these amazing, amazing heroes of faith. And it says, you know, these, these people are saints. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, since we're surrounded, since us, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, since we're surrounded by so many amazing saints that have gone before us, let's run this race. Let's live this life. Let's do what we have been called to do. Uh, and the, the Bible says, he says, you know what? You're not strangers. You know, it's not like God doesn't know you. God knows you. Not just that you know God, he knows you. So in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, when you come to the throne, he says, boldly enter the throne room of grace. Why? Because he knows you. You're like, oh man, I'm having a bad day. It's, that's the day to say, God, I'm just gladly coming before you. It's not like, oh God, I got to earn it. I'm staying away till I get my act cleaned up. God, I'm coming to you. 
because you said it. It's because of what you've done, because of what Jesus has said. So he says this, you're a citizen, not a citizen of, you know, Canada, uh, where he is, you know, that's one of the thoughts we have with Canadian citizens here. Yeah, I want to deport the rest of you. All right. Um, but he's like, there's this idea of citizenship. When you're a citizen, you have some you have some different rights and you have some different thoughts. A lot of us as Christians, when we think about, you know, we're a citizen of heaven, that's all that kind of means for us is like, I'm a Christian, so when I die, I'm going to heaven someday. And he says, it's not, it's not what it's about. It's about life here as well. Uh, that, you know, you, you're a citizen of heaven, but you're an ambassador to earth. You're here uh, as a representative uh, and with a message of reconciliation, bringing others to, the, to this place of knowing Jesus Christ, knowing the Father, having access to the Father. See, in their culture, the Romans, citizenship uh, in Rome, that was the thing to have. If you were a Roman citizen, uh, those people, what their, their whole goal was to bring the culture of Rome everywhere they were. So if they're in Ephesus, they're bringing Roman culture there. If they're in Philippi, they're bringing Roman culture there. And what's he saying to them? The same idea. You're a citizen of heaven. When you're on this planet, you're to bring the culture of heaven wherever you are. You're to bring the authority of heaven wherever you are. Who we are in Christ now is what he's saying. That is, is as you live your life that way, you have the same rights and benefits that they had. Do you know Jesus said, I've given you the keys of the kingdom. He's talking about the authority of the church. And this church is going to be one that says, you know what? When we, when we speak out what God wants, it happens. That his kingdom comes and his will is done in lives around us. It's like this belief and this understanding on the inside. This is what it's all about. That's what it's all about. In, in Ephesians earlier, he says, you guys are seated in authority. You're in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus already, understanding that. So he says, one, you're citizens. Number two, he says, you're members of God's family. We talked about the big happy family last week. The church, this, us, it's a family. There's a big difference between family and business. You know, the church is not a, is not a business. And it's, it's dangerous to mess those two things up. Um, somebody asked me about uh, uh, the cruise that we went on tonight, uh, this week, and um, uh, or asked me tonight about. It. I was like, you know, I'm still I'm still thinking about the cruise. Uh, you know, we went on this cruise, and uh, on the cruise, when you go on a cruise, I'll just if you have never been, uh, it's it's pretty crazy. You go on there, and all the people that work on the cruise, you know, there's three thousand guests, and there's like one thousand people that work there. So you have one person taking care of three people. It's pretty pretty amazing. That's like better than the hospital. So uh, on the cruise ship. They, um, they, they're all dressed up in their uniforms, you know, and, and they, all of them, as they see you, you're, you're not in a uniform, they treat you like gold. They're like serving you drinks. They're serving you food. They make your bed twice a day. Unbelievable. I, I mean, it's, it's incredible. They, um, they're there to entertain you. They're like, sir, can we do anything for you? Yes. Would you like, can we help you with anything? And I'm like, no, no, we're good. We're good. Are you sure? Well, if you need anything, you just let me know. I'm like, okay, okay. And at the end of the cruise, there they all are, you know, as you're walking out, a whole bunch are just standing there like, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the cruise. We hope to see you again. And they're smiling, right? That is like a cruise. That's not like home. You know, when you, when, when you get home, like, I remember when I grew up as a kid, it wasn't like that. My brothers weren't all dressed up in uniforms when I came home like, hey, Brother Mark, what can we do for you? What can we get for you? How can we serve you? Would you like a drink? Would you like a coffee? Are you sure? Um, we made your bed once. Would you like us to make it again? It just doesn't happen. You know, it's, um, it's like my parents. When I came home, they weren't there to entertain me. It wasn't this idea of, oh, good, we're glad you came home. You know, we're just about to eat dinner. So I'd sit there, watch them cook the dinner, eat the dinner, rate it out of, you know, one to ten, and then leave. And as I'm leaving, they're like, oh, thank you so much for coming home, Mark. We sure hope you're going to come back again sometime. Uh, that wasn't real. 
that wasn't, maybe your home life was like that. Mine wasn't. Why? Because there's a difference between business and, and home. There's a difference between business and families. There's a difference between a cruise ship and home. He's saying the same thing with church. You're not part of a cruise ship here. You're part of a family. Every part of the family. When I was a kid, everyone had chores. Everyone had responsibilities. Everyone pulled together in a family. I remember at age 11, I don't know if I can say this if it's legal or not, but when I was 11 years old, I had to work. I had to catch chickens in the middle of the night with my brothers and my, and my family. And, and my dad was going through school, and it was like the 80s when the interest rates were like 20-something percent. It was ridiculous. We were catching chickens, and we were giving half of what we made to my parents, 50%, you know, so that we could, you know, help pay the mortgage, and we could survive and, you know, have oatmeal in the morning, whatever. But it was it was this thing of, you know, we were working together as a team to, to make it through uh, that situation and being a family. And, you know, I thank them to this day for teaching me and training me with responsibility. If you're living in your house, you know, you got teenagers and teenagers, you're probably going to hate me for saying this. But if you have teenagers in your house who are working and don't pay rent and, don't, you know, get a free ride, you are not doing them any favors. No, I'm preaching to your teens. You just, uh, you're not doing them any favors. This idea of growing up and living, you know what? Same thing. If we tell our church family, hey, you guys can just be a part of this church. It's just a great church. Just have a free ride. Be a consumer. I'm not doing you any favors. Because the best benefit of being a part of a church is to be a part of family. To really experience, be like, you know what? I'm serving in the family. I'm giving in the family. I'm, I'm a part of this family. And guess what? That's what his design is for you. And here's why. The last part is this. Um, you're his house. You are his house. This building, it's not the house of God. It's, it's not a sacred space. It's just a house. It's our house. It's where the family of God meets. It's not even God's house. It's our house, my house, your house. This is, this is our house. You, you, you. Look at the person next to you. That person, they are sacred space. They are the house of Almighty God. The Corinthian church, Paul said to him, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Wherever you go, he goes. So you didn't come here tonight to find God. You know, he was with you when you got here. If you're in Christ, that's how it goes. And the Bible just says, you know, that this whole thing is being built together, that the foundation is the, the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, that we keep growing on what we're learning. And the cornerstone of it all is Jesus Christ. He said, that, you know, the builders, they rejected this stone, but God's made this the cornerstone, that it's all about Jesus. When we sing those words, Jesus, it's all about you, that's, that's true. Those are the things that should just be flowing from our hearts. It's about him. You can't get away from him. Our life is about him. The word building in this verse and these verses, is both, it's two things. It's a noun and it's a verb. It's something tangible that he's building. It is this thing of when you look around, you look at the family, you're like, you know what, I see he's building it. And it's, but it's continually being built. It's this idea of it being built, that new believers are being added all the time. You look around, Saturday nights. I mean, God's adding people to this family, to his family. But he says this. He says they're being fit together closely. It's like puzzle pieces. As they fit, you know, if they fit perfectly, what happens? Each puzzle piece comes, and, and as you put them all together, it reveals this amazing picture. It's like engine parts. You put all the pistons and whatever else is in an engine together. It's like all of a sudden, there's incredible power available. Why? Because all those parts are closely fit together. Closely is not like a group of loosely connected people. You know, like an online group. There's 30,719 people who are in a group that's called I Love Cats. I just feel so sorry for those people. But, but... But they're just connected by I love cats. 
and they're connected. They don't even know each other. They get together just to talk about cats, and, and that's all it is. But he's saying, you know what? I want you guys to be connected by something that gets you at the core. At the core, we're connected by this person named Jesus Christ who means so much to me, who means so much to you, who means so much to you that it's like it just ties us together. When you do stuff in your humanness that I hate, I'm like, ah, but they love Jesus. I'm God. I'm with them. I'm with them. And what, what does he say? This being fit closely together, we may disagree on things, but our core is what, what keeps this connection together. And it says because of that, it causes it to grow. Now this building, this, um, building of, of people, it's caused to grow by this whole idea of being close. You know why? Because the Bible talks about like crazy. Number one, iron sharpens iron. It says in Proverbs 27, it's like the, there's a mutual th- growth for us to be around each other, to be in each other's lives. Um, he who walks with the wise becomes wise. You want wisdom in your life? Hang out with wise people. That, the, this, this idea of passion, it encourages passion in other people. You know, I went to a Buffalo Sabres game. They are lousy. You know, they're the worst team in the league. And I'm sitting there. It was free tickets. That's the only reason I went, right? So I went to this game. I'm sitting there. and I'm sitting in a row. And, but all of a sudden, here's us, four Canadians, and, and surrounded by this crowd of people wearing Sabres jerseys. And all of a sudden, stuff happens. And they're like, yeah! And we're like, everybody else is up. Let's go! Yeah. And we're cheering away. I'm like, I'm, I'm a Leafs fan, you know? I'm not cheering for no Buffalo Sabres. But... This energy, this passion begets this passion. Like, I just got, you know, I want to be a part. Let's go, fellas. And guess what they want? That's oh, because we were there. Cheering them on. You know, but in Hebrews, it says this. Keep meeting together to spur one another on to good works. There's this idea of us being around each other, close to one another. Um, there was a law in, in, uh, in Michigan that they just dropped. It was this law that you are, you are not allowed to um, willfully annoy other people. And they got rid of that law. It's terrible. I would love it for it to be here. But it's same in the church. This is, this is, I don't even know how it's the same in church. Never mind. Old battleship. Um, I, I want to leave you with this thought. The, the, the message of tonight is a tale of two ships. One we've talked about already. It's the cruise ship. You know, that God's not building a church. When he says, I'm building this whole thing together, he says, I'm not building this cruise ship mentality. I'm not building um, this idea of, you know, it's all about me. It's all about serving me. And he says, you know, when we were on our, on our trip, we, in one of the ports, there was an old battleship uh, off, to the, off to the side. They're using it as a museum. And as a, as a thought about that, you know, this, this battleship, you know, when it was in its heyday, everyone on that battleship, There was nobody on that battleship, you know, as they're going out to war going, hey, man, give me some sunscreen. I'm going up on the deck, you know. Uh, Hey, uh, when you're done loading that cannon or that gun or whatever it is, can you go and cook me up, you know, I'll have a coffee, double cream, and can you serve it to me on my lawn chair? It was just none of that stuff. It was this idea of everyone had the mission in, that, in their heart. They all had a station. They all had purpose. Every person in that was realizing we're going to battle for people's lives and for their freedom. We're in this together. That is, you know, I believe that for us, that as a church, we're like to be like a battleship, a church that's seeking to reach this county for Jesus Christ. That as a church, we are the one that the Bible talks about that, you know, the gates of hell, they don't win. We're going to fight so that they never win. That hell never wins in people's lives here, never wins in, in, in the people that, are, that don't know Jesus Christ, that we're out there looking to rescue whoever, uh, whoever we can. That people who are living for Jesus are on this boat. That they get discipleship. My life's not about me. It's not about what's good for me or what's not good for me or what I want or what I don't want. My life is about the cause of Jesus Christ because I gave him my life. 
that as a church we would recognize that. We remember the price that was paid for us. We remember that that was paid for those around us. That we would know who we are and know whose we are. That we would not just live for me, but that we realize we've been given time. We've been given talents and we've been given treasure that's been designed for us to serve in this kingdom. That we are a unique puzzle piece. That, that without it, without us fitting closely together, the church is missing out. That, that each of us would say, you know what, I got, I, I, that's me. I'm in this together. I'm a soldier for him. Because the other side is the cruise ship where we sit in that spot and go, you know what, what's the church done for me lately? And our focus becomes on the things that we don't like in church and we don't like in, in, this, in this family, the people we don't like. And I'll guarantee you, you'll be unhappy pretty quick and for a long time. And the scariest part of this, and I leave you with this thought, is that that idea of what has the church done for me lately can so quickly turn into what has Jesus done for me lately. And the attitude of thankfulness that it talks about in Romans, we lose. We forget. We forget what he did for us. We forget that we were on the raft. We forget that he rescued us. We forget that he loved us and set us in a place and said, this is who you are. You're a new person. You're a new child. You've got, you've got everything already. I've given it all to you. Just live in it. So tonight I want to encourage you and challenge you with this. Where, where, where are you at with it? Does it motivate you? I had to do some heart searching on this myself. Does it motivate me to say, you know what? There's people around me who don't know Jesus Christ, and that's not going to stay that way. I refuse to cruise. I want to live the life that he's called us to live, to build the church that he's building. I see that with Paul encouraging the Ephesian church. I want to encourage you with the same thought tonight. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your word. I mean that. It's changing my life every day. (laughs) Thank you for this uh, encouragement and challenge to us. Jesus, thank you for your um, incredible love. This is all about you. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, you keep bringing us back to that place where we surrender our lives to you, really surrender our lives to you. Pray tonight that as this uh, word is spoken, I pray that it finds good soil. I pray that it gets, is protected by, by uh, each individual as they, as they seek you out in this. And Holy Spirit, I pray you'd speak to them in, in the, the spot that they need it right now. Father, I pray for those here tonight who don't know you. Pray if that's been revealed tonight, they realize they're in that spot. I pray that, that uh, they would just reach out to you, grab hold of what you've given them that they would uh, not just become a person who fears you, but who loves you. God, thank you tonight for salvation. Thank you for this chance we have to be together. Thank you for these incredible people that you've put into this family. Thanks for making us a family. May we live this week to honor and glorify you. Spread your word and your light and your hope and your life everywhere. In your name and for your glory. Amen.